Welcome to the NBA Coast to Coast Podcast, brought to you by thelines.com. It is Tuesday, six games here on the slate that Nate Weitzer and myself are going to be running through with you guys here. Definitely want to make sure to like and subscribe to that page as we are bringing you these best bets that we've got in this video, plus the play of props that we have up in a separate video for you as well each and every weekday this season. Also want you to head to thelines.com, use the odds finder tool that we have up on the site and check out all of the great content that we are putting up to help you with all of your NBA bets this season. Nate, a little 500 night mitigated some losses, I would say. Probably should have had an above 500 winning night with the Knicks not getting completely just shellacked by the refs there. But we moved past it because we're, we're more mature than that. And we're going to talk about tonight's slate. So let's get into your first best bet. More mature. Yeah, like Brunson just being like, ah, next great call. Next question. Great call. Next question. <laughs> no, no. Just going to pass right over that one. Oh, my God. That was that was the worst. That's the call you make in if you're refing AAU bas- middle school girls basketball, and you're like, we just have to keep this thing moving. We cannot we don't want to stick around. Yep. <laughs> That's 100%. just unbelievable. Yep. What a, oh, my God. Ref had dinner on the stove, man. The ref is ready to go. <laughs> uh, Boston at Brooklyn tonight. I will go under 228. Unfortunately, missed the boat on 232, which is where it opened. People have been hitting that. If you do want to take, you know, FanDuel, once again, freezes the line. I think you can take Nets plus nine and a half along with that opening uh, two thirty two and a half, but I don't know. I'm a little nervous that the Nets are not going to get to their team total, and that's why I feel best about this under. Like it's literally about whether Cam Thomas starts going out of his mind, right? Like he's yeah. just a, the, he he is what their offense revolves around. You mentioned it's kind of just like a run around and give me give me give me give me the ball, and then there's just no no cohesion whatsoever. Now you integrate. Dennis Schroeder, who's just another guy who's just like, come on, give me, give me, give me the ball. And and nobody's playing off each other. Cam, I mean, he had a nice game against the Spurs. That's the Spurs defense. He still, in his last four, has a 97 offensive rating. And he is not shy about shooting, still close to 30% usage. This Nets offense is pretty abysmal. Their defense has been pretty good at home. And Interestingly, I mean, they have a two two full days off here, right? Uh, haven't played since Saturday, and they're seven and three to the under with a rest advantage. <clears throat> also six and three against the spread in that spot. They're eight and two to the under in their last ten at home, playing at the eighth slowest pace, holding a, holding opponents to the fifth fewest three point attempts. All, always key when you face the Celtics. Sixth sixth lowest field goal percentage. Shout out Nick Claxton for that, and seventh fewest points. So they should do a pretty good job limiting Boston, which just, you know, simply does not get to the free throw line. If if they're not nailing a ton of threes, they, they're probably not going to light it up. And, I mean, we've been on this road home split for them all year, especially lately. They're 1-7 against the spread their last eight on the road. They've been, you know, winning these games with defense. They, their last five, they've won all five, allowing 106, playing pretty slow, under in five of the last six roadies. And they might not have Porzingis because <clears throat> it's a weird home and home situation here where they go home to Boston for the last game before the break. I would think if I'm just trying to read the tea leaves, like he plays at home and then gets the all-star break and they just hold them out for this one. And their last four without the zinger, 112 a game, 4-0 to the under. Uh, you know, he might be more important for their offense than defense and, and maybe in this matchup specifically. But I mean, either way, their defense has just been so good on the road since that, um, that, that, that embarrassment by the Lakers at their place. Uh, they've just, they've brought it on that end, but their offense has, has kind of hit a bit of a mid season slump. 
Yeah, I would agree with with all that. I, I was also looking at the under, as you know, before this game, and um, I, I would continue to ride that. A couple of the the reasonings I have to you know rely really on how how well the the Celtics have been playing defense, and and like you said, now they get an offense that does not pass the ball well, um, doesn't move well in the half court. Everything is just sort of stagnant, and and guards running into each other because they all play the same position. So it's not uh, it's not pretty to watch. And and on the other side, I mean, I do want Chris Stapps to be in there, to be honest, because I, uh, the, the way that the um, Celtics have run people off the line, they're just playing a lot of blitz defense with incredible down low presence. And with Chris Stapps in there, who Ant Edwards once called the greatest shot blocker in the league and the toughest guy to go up against the guy when he goes to the rim, um, that more felt like a shot at Rudy Gobert when he said that. But it still holds true to a degree. Chris Stapps has been really good this year as well. And that's why they feel so comfortable blitzing dudes off the mid-range, blitzing them off the three-point line, and forcing them inside where Tatum, Brown, Al Horford, uh, Chris Stapps, they've all been really good down low. Even Luke Cornett when he actually is in there. So uh, I'm going to go to the, uh, the Sack and Phoenix game. I know we're both talking about that, but I like an under in this one. And I feel like I'm, I'm going to be on my own island over there on under island of 245 and a half because uh, this got bet up from 243 and a half where it opened. So some people initially just saw Suns and Kings and were like, I love it. Give it to me. Give me more. However, what I would look at is the way that these two teams play when they are in the the Phoenix Suns building, right? When they're in, I don't know the name of the arena, damn it. But either way, when they're in that building, uh, you know, the footprint center, it's something so weird. You're right. Yeah. (laughs) They just say like the Valley. They're just like, come to the Valley because it's less lame. But uh, yeah, either way, like this is a building where when these two teams play, it's the, the, the splits that we see for sack really hold true where a ton of more points on at home than on the road. And if you give me uh, over 240, you know, in 245 and a half now total, with the way that the Kings have been playing on the road, I'm here for it. Uh, they are averaging about, about 231, 232 on the road this season in terms of their, their game totals versus uh, the, the two roughly 42 that they average at home. So we're talking about about 10-point difference there that we've been talking about all season. The pace drops very negligent, but negligibly, but it's, it still drops a little bit. Um, and really, like I said, it's the splits between where when they play at home and when they play on the road. The Suns are the same team if they were playing on Mars, they'd be the same team. I mean, you look at their splits and it's like home 16-11, road 15-11. and 11. Points per game scored off by 0.4, basically 117 wherever they are, allowing 114 wherever they are, playing at like a 98, high 98, low 99 pace wherever they are. They're the same team. And that helps me sort of have an anchor when I look at the way the Kings come into this building. And the two, the so let's take it back to the last six games that these teams have played. Four of them have been in Phoenix. Three of them have gone under. Um, and pretty comfortably under the 245 and a half total. These are averaging 233 in the last four when they play at Phoenix in the last two that they played when they play at Sacramento, averaging 249 totals in there. Uh, and it's just a, a much faster pace and a different ball game, as, as we've seen. Uh, the, the only other thing I would say, too, is like the as, the as good as the offensive rating has been for the Kings in their last uh, 10, they are 12th in offensive rating because they played roughly, what, like eight, nine games on the road over their last, like, uh, they played eight road games, basically, in their last 10. So they, they've been away from home for a while, and as we've seen them sliding, we'll probably see a Kings sort of comeback where they have, like, eight games, you know, eight out of ten games at home, a similar stretch there, and then they'll they'll turn things around. But we've got a large enough sample size, especially over the course of the last ten, with this team playing on the road to go, all right, yeah, they're shooting okay, but they're relying very heavily on threes. They're not getting to the rim at all over their last 10. They have basically a bottom five rim frequency, uh, paint frequency, all that stuff getting close to the basket. They've taken a bunch of mid-range and a ton of threes, uh, the fourth most threes. And the Suns have been good at defending that at home, especially in uh, 11th 
fewest three pointers made over their last 10 to their opponents. So this is, that's why I think, you know, this thing is going to be, this be a little bit choppier than people might think. And, and I'm, I think the Suns are happy to keep this in the 235 ish range rather than just get into a complete track meet with this squad. No, I'm with it. Yeah. I mean, the Suns are, are like you said, like their team that averages around 230. Uh, regardless, it's, it's not, I think the expectation is like, oh, well, they have so much firepower. Like they could easily score 140. And it's just like, it's just, not the way they've been, they've played generally. It's been it's been a bit of a rotation between Book and KD, and a little hard to predict. Which is why I'm the way I'm targeting this game is just I'm going to predict the Kings guys that they're two All Star snubs, who uh, you know are still on that one more one more tirade here to show they're an All All Star. Nice. Although the Aaron Fox has been cold lately, yeah. I, I just think he's he's due basically, and and it's a good matchup. So same game parlay here, Fox for twenty five points Sabonis at least 15 and 10 gets you plus 160 uh you can play around with that a little bit I mean Sabonis is probably good for 15 and 12 or Fox for 20 plus but the point is like those guys they they could both get their numbers and this game could go under by 30 points and I'm not at all concerned about that it's the Kings role players they're they're secondary guys who are just not gonna bring the offense on the road for the most part but I think Fox will turn it around after, you know, some some pretty tough matchups. Cleveland OKC is last two, averaging 15 a game in his last four. But his last three against Phoenix, averaging 30 a game, 33% usage, 50 and 52% splits. You know, it, it, it's pretty similar to other, like, star backcourts he might face. Every time he faces Steph Curry, every time he faces Luka, you know, he seems to just, like, answer in kind. Also, way more points on the road, you know, like, like I'm saying, it's the role players that fall off, but Fox is averaging 25 and a half on the road for 17 at home. Since the start of 2024 His offensive rating is 15 points higher in that situation. Sabonis also 19 points higher on the road since the start of the year, averaging 20 and 13 and a half. He has 10 plus boards in 18 of his last 19 on the road, shooting 66% from the field for the season. And he's faced the Suns twice this year. 81% field goal shooting, 24 and a half points, averaging well over triple-double. Uh, for what it's worth, he's had 15-plus points in all eight against Phoenix since he joined the Kings. But really, I'm looking at those last two. And Yusuf Nurkic being the kind of guy who just like likes to just like bounce up and down the court at times and be like, all right, nice layup. Like, we're, we're going the other way. <laughs> and just, just is not necessarily stopping Sabonis from getting his, um, as, as we saw in that last game where he had a, a big line. Yeah, I, I would I would concur with that. I do think Sabonis continues. I, I've been so wrong on him so consistently that it just feels like one of those dudes that it's it's now personal. So I can't really <laughs> jump in on him. But when you when you lower everything like this and then you get to a good spot, Godspeed. I'm I'm terrified of, of Fox. So hopefully he's due. You know what I mean? I'm with you on that. But uh, let me close it out in Orlando. Not a very big spread, but I'm gonna take the magic, the Mahik here at plus two and a half. Last night, I really thought I might wake up and see this at like plus four and a half. And maybe people still weren't realizing that the Magic are the second best team at covering at home in the last two seasons. Of course, the only team better than them at covering is the, the Oklahoma City Thunder in the last two seasons. These are the darlings of sports betting the last couple of years with the way that people undervalue them. I, st- I think in this situation, you get a bit more value by just taking points for, for the Magic at home. And that's really what this is. There's like a, it, the margins are slim everywhere. I mean, whether you want to talk about the season or or in general between these two teams, a decent amount of stuff done similarly, um, especially now that you've got more Wendell Carter Jr. in there and less Goga Batadze. And you're talking about a little bit more of a versatile, smaller 
style of play for the Magic that I do think lends itself to this one being closer to an over. It got bet down from 229.5 to 223.5, and and I think it's just a little bit too far now, to be honest, but I'm not going to go with the over. I'm still going to take the Magic and and bank on them the, the fact that Basically, the, the Thunder have been giving it up on the road a bit as of late, uh, and especially in their last five games overall, have not been playing well at all. Basically, 120 defensive rating in their last five. The Magic have also sort of toned it down back to defensive team and, and a little bit less of that offensive team, as we've seen in the last uh, five games as well. About tw- uh, 20th, basically, in, in uh, offensive rating there with 114 offensive rating so it's like the the thunder are giving up points but they're still scoring points they still are in a top five offensive rating in their last five and on the season um and, but they've also been a top five defensive team so i do think the slide is like more on defense right now for them especially on the road where they are they do give up a, a little bit more um even though they, they score more at home as well so like more most importantly when the 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 magic have been road dogs this or excuse me home dogs this season seven and four against the spread and straight up covering those games by about four points, 3.8 margin of victory there. And then you look at the Thunder playing on the road as the road favorite, seven and eight against the spread. Uh, they're, they're failing to cover that by about a point, you know, So and they're winning those games by about three points. I, I just think it's like a, this should basically be a pick em. It's not a, that much for me to take the, the plus two and a half. But, uh, you know, the only other thing I would say as far as a, a matchup goes is I, I do think that the, the, the Thunder, like they're actually operating in the paint, not quite, in, at the rim it's more of this like non-restricted area of the paint right that's a little bit further away that is where the magic are the best uh those dudes step up and 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 de- defend the non-ra non-restricted area of the paint as well as anybody in the league with just six you know five dudes on the court that are six foot six or taller uh it's going to be an area of the court that they're very good is the, the short mid-range and even that baseline stuff as well is where they're they've been really good corner threes corner and everything so I think the defense for them is tailor made to just go ahead and be, you know, best in the spots that guys like Shea want to operate as he's shooting a ton of his shots from like five to 12 feet away. And that happens to be where, where the magic play really good defense. So I'll just keep banking on them being able to sort of limit what the thunder do and only needing about like a buck 15 buck 16, maybe to pull this one out. Yeah. I mean, it's an interesting look. I, I, I was just thinking Paolo to, to score looking at player props in this one because of what you mentioned about OKC struggling defensively on the road, struggling to protect the paint. Um, so that's the way I'd play it. Like I, I it is a pick for me. Yeah. Like both of these teams are going to bring it. It's a revenge spot for Orlando. They lost in OKC a month ago, but it's the last game before the break for OKC. Uh-huh. Whereas Orlando gets the Knicks tomorrow. Like, I don't, I don't know. I think OKC is going to, is going to bring it with the, with the long layoff coming after this. It's just a question of, you know, which, which star or which star sophomore gets the best, uh, the best of each other. I'm looking forward to this Jalen Paolo matchup. Definitely. Uh, And, and just potential way to look at that is the thunder are already in Cancun because they only have one more game magic. No, they have one more. So they're still kind of in the season. However you want to play that pop psychologist, I'm just going to take the points. That's all. So, Nate, let's go ahead and get right into your first uh, NBA play a prop here. I will say two and two last night, but uh, still riding very high over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I'll go with Paolo over 22 and a half points. Was thinking about getting some peripheral stats in there. I don't know if we can bank on him having six plus assists for those last 10 games here. Um, I think that's probably a bit inflated, but, you know. He is a huge part. He is clearly the focal point of this Magic offense and facing a Thunder defense that's really fallen off on the road lately. 120 defensive rating in their last eight road games. Most importantly, <clears throat> struggling in the areas that Paolo is going to succeed, right? Second most free throw attempts, 
suddenly allowing 63% on twos in their last three overall, 57 paint points. That's way up from their season averages. 51% on the season, 46 paint points. Like, I don't know, Chet's running out of gas. They got him no help <laughs> at, at the trade deadline. He is now just manning the paint by himself and uh, a little bit undersized. But, I mean, they have been getting up free throws all season on the road, 25 a game. Paulos averaging eight free throw attempts in this 10-game in this heater, 23.3 points per game, 29% usage. It's a bit of a revenge spot for the Magic here. They lost 112-100 a month ago at OKC. Paolo had a nice line of 28-9. and uh, I think maybe he does a little bit more scoring than diming this in this uh, rematch. He is averaging 23.5 against the West for what it's worth, 23-plus points in 12 of his last 16 against those uh, non-conference teams. And um, yeah, I just think he'll be aggressive here as the Magic play host to, um, you know, the the rookie of the year runner-up. And Jalen Williams might do a pretty good job on him initially, but I, I think Paolo is, is playing really well right now. I mean, do you think that there's going to be uh, be some Chet Paolo matchup stuff going on uh, between those two guys? Or you think he's really just taking on Jalen Williams? Well, I, I, th I talk about Chet as the kind of the last line of defense because, I mean, I don't think Jalen's going to keep him in front of him that 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 often. Uh, Paolo is getting in there, and it's just a question when you when you look at his matchup is like who's the last line of defense here. And Chet has blocked some shots, but like like I said, I think he's a bit gassed as we get to the end of the break here. Yeah. You know, rookie rookie wall, like this is a lot more games than he played at Zaga, man. And it's, it's a lot more physical, and that's why the Thunder's interior defense has kind of fallen off. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting that they were just like, oh, no, we're not getting a big. We're getting a dude who helps us play smaller in Gordon Hayward as we have like a really good small ball four now in, if when he's actually on the court. But, uh, yeah, I was just interested to see if there was any sort of like, you know, rookie on rookie, like rookie of the year, possible rookie of the year. But that's I'm, I'm reaching for that. So I, I would agree that he's he's sort of just back there playing free safety a bit more. But uh, let me go to another rook who should be in the running and is not going to win because Victor Womanyama and Chet Holmgren play basketball. But Jaime Jaquez Jr., over 20 and a half uh, PRA is what that should be here. And I, I'm going to take that just predicated on that Jimmy Butler's not in. I've said this before. I took some unders for Jaime this season when Jimmy came back and his stats were still at about, let's say, 13 and a half, 14 and a half points and six and a half boards and all these things that indicated these, these lines that indicated people thought he was still going to have the same output when Jimmy Butler came back because he was still going to get the same minutes. How can you sit the rook? Well, he, th there's only one spot on the floor for exactly what he does. And Jimmy Butler owns that spot. That's why it's the most ridiculous start uh, splits with and without Jimmy Butler that we could imagine, right? Like with Jimmy this season, 27 and a half minutes, 11 points per game. Without him, 33 minutes, 16 points per game, 15.8. The shots go up by about two field goal attempts per game from 9.2 to 11.8. That's really two, more than two and a half. Uh, and the rebounds go up by about a full board and about half an assist a game. So, like, everything just jumps straight up. Uh, the, the points, actually, are, are something that they rely on him to take because, like I said, it's not like he just comes in and they're like, do the hustle stuff. It's like, no, Jimmy Butler's not here. So somebody needs to be that guy that works his way down from the three-point line or the extended baseline into the basket area, into the, to closer to the basket, and, and either passes off of that or just takes his guy all the way down. And also, by the way, we don't have very much – in the way of fast break or transition guys, if you could just leak out a few times and help us, you know, even get a rebound and run the, the sort of point of the fast break. Cause Hawkins has the ability to do that. Please do that because that's Jimmy Butler's role. And not many other people are doing that for the heat here. So uh, I think in, in this one too, when you, you look at Milwaukee, like 
this is an area that they actually have been a bit vulnerable in terms of the power forward position more so than, than some others this year. And I'm certainly not going to blame that on Giannis, but in the past we have sort of been able to go, how is Milwaukee doing against power forwards? Oh, shutting them down. Got it. Right. They have Giannis Antetokounmpo understood. And this year they've obviously been a little bit tougher to figure out exactly how they're playing uh, that defense. The drop defense has come back to working for them a bit more. Uh, but I still think that with, with the, the them on the second leg of the back-to-back, we have seen Brooke Lopez play a bit less, uh, and he did play about 31, 32 minutes last night. So not sure if he'll be in there with, with quite the same defense for quite as long. I'd probably put him at under 30 minutes in this one, which will help a lot for Jaime as he as he's going to work down low. Um, and, you know, have, have a, hopefully a decent one-on-one matchup. I don't think he's going to be getting a lot of Giannis, who's, who might be playing a bit more free safety. But that just means that Jaime, who has taken a lot of shots, most of his shots around the rim, or within 10 feet of the basket, that is a spot that you can still get some buckets uh, against this team. If you don't need to go all the way to the rim and you just want to pull up right about five feet, five to nine feet, you're in a good spot to do that against this Bucks defense, like I said, who drops, everyone knows, they play that drop D. So we're going to go with uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Butler replacement, Jaime Hawkins Jr. I mean, yeah, you you nailed it in terms of him filling the void with Jimmy out. Um, like, they, they absolutely fill the same spaces on the floor. Uh, Terry Rozier is also out mm-hmm. for the Heat, and that that's huge. That's why I, I was thinking about who I want to target here. Tyler Hero is probably going to have a huge usage rate. Um, but, yeah, otherwise, like, it's a little hard to predict their rotations, even when they're down guys. Like, yeah. who knows whether it's going to be Duncan Robinson, Caleb Martin, or – or Hawkes or who's going to fill the fill the usage uh, gap here, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully the rook gets back to it because he's been quiet lately with that with the with the rotation getting more crowded, but now it's opened yep. up. Um, Jalen Duren again, let's go eleven and a half rebounds this time. I mean, you can put the points in there if you want, combine them together. In his last eight, he's averaging fifteen and a half points and fifteen rebounds, leading the NBA in rebound chances in that span, twenty four. And that's up to 25 and a half in the four on the road there. 45% contested rebounding rate. So he is not deterred if you are crashing the glass against him. If Anthony Davis does play here, um, you know, I, I, I think that that is, is a big opportunity for him to just to just be even more of a ferocious rebounder. Uh, the Lakers have actually been terrible rebounding the ball lately, though. Uh, they're 25th in rebounding rate in their last 12. Uh, they're allowing the second highest defensive rebounding rate on the season. Opponents are getting 80% of their defensive rebounds. Only the Wizards are worse. Um, And in this last 12, they're also giving up 11.2 offensive rebounds per game, which is bottom eight. But really, like, this is a look-ahead spot for the Lake Show. They got at Utah tomorrow. They're they're double-digit favorites at home here. LeBron and AD perpetually questionable. One of them is almost certainly going to sit, if not both so that they're ready for this Utah game, which is way more important. And the Pistons are, are just gunning. They're finally in their defined roles here, which includes yeah. <clears throat> Duran manning the paint. And they're actually third in total rebounding rate in this last eight. They're actually playing pretty well. I mean, people have bet this down from plus 12 to plus 10 because they, they understand the Lakers schedule situation and that the Pistons are playing well with, with Jaden Ivey playing really well. And he's, you know, Duran slotting into his role, like, yeah, I mean the, the young guys. Let's let's keep riding them, dude. You 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 don't have to hold back. You can be excited about the future of the Pistons. I mean, they might be good at some point in the near future. Like, it's I mean, you just strip away the fat. Like, oh my god, Mar- Marvin Bagley's gone, and now Jalen Duran looks like you know Dwight Howard. Awesome! <laughs> what a concept that the that the middle of the floor is open for this dude who has just shown these spurts of being an absolute Shaquille O'Neal at 19 years old. 
and yet he, he just can't get on the floor because there's this rotation of bigs that includes James Wiseman that were taking minutes from him. And thank the Lord, somebody either spoke to Monty or he finally had more control of the roster. Somebody did something to uh, to move those things around and make some smart moves in Detroit for what feels like the first time since they brought Rasheed Wallace over from Portland. All right, let's close it out here with D'Angelo Russell um, and talk about why he's going to get his points and assists. And I'm, I, I, you, you correctly point out the assists would be a good play, but I'm going to take over 20 and a half points and assists because I think we, we sort of hedge our bets here. We, we really hedge what's going to happen with that injury report, right? Like, is AD going to play? Eh, maybe not. Like you said, either he or, AD, or LeBron feel very likely to sit unless they just decide they're completely punting because they really want to beat the Pistons and they don't care about playing the Jazz. That doesn't seem likely, though. Usually you're going to try in the uh, in-conference game, not the non-conference game against the worst team in the league. So uh, I, I would agree that even if AD plays or, or even if both of them play, maybe one of them plays like you know 20 minutes and that's it or whatever, and they, they, they are able to blow out Detroit, who um, has hung with them at times before. So we'll, we'll see. Detroit's given them some trouble. But I like the points and assists for D'Lo because – of, of the way that things work when AD sits 15 and a half points a game, 7.7 assists per game still gets us over the 20 point. Uh, I'm sorry. It gets us close to the 25.5, but it's really the, uh, the, the points and assists with, with LeBron out as well. The 10.2 assists is what stands out to you. So like with LeBron in there, we're still at about five assists a game. So he's right at that cusp. And I think they the books knew that they, they were like, we would definitely want this at five and a half, six and a half, somewhere around there. But five and a half is a nice number to say, to get their sort of even money on both sides because of the way that he does this with and without LeBron. Right. So I, I think the, the, the shot attempts are also going to be there for him uh, in a game where they're, they're taking on the, uh, the Pistons, like we said, and, and that, that download defense is the only thing that they can hang their head on is rim protection and a bit of, uh, you know, keeping guys off the boards for second chance points. That's what they're focused on um, out, out at the, around the painted area. Cade is not a very fleet of foot defender against smaller dudes standing at a, a very nice, robust six foot six, six foot seven, even. Um, and then you've got Jaden Ivey, who certainly has the athleticism to, to play defense on any wing, but just not something that we've seen. Uh, they're allowing the second most points per game to point guards. The Lakers play a little bit of a funky offense because LeBron is not your typical point guard, but D'Lo has been bringing the ball up, has a ton of touches as well over the course of those last bunch of games. So I, I, th I love the assist for him. They're at five and a half, you know, juiced down a bit. So it's not, uh, I'm sorry, it's still juiced up to the, to the over. If you want to take over five and a half, you can't get that. It's just with LeBron in there, he's right at that number and he's not really getting six very often, right? So that's, that's what scares you about it. But with LeBron in there, he still gets the points as well. Uh, still right around 25, 25 and a half. PA. If this is a blowout, I don't think this is a guy that you, you you completely sit. They've just been playing him for 33 to 36 minutes, no matter what, when he's in there. Um, so I'm going to keep banking on, on his usage and volume and minutes uh, in this weak matchup against the Pistons. Yeah, if it's a blowout, we're, we're, we're talking about LeBron and AD, if they're active, getting out of there after like 28 minutes, for sure. And then yeah. D'Lo, you, you bring it home. Uh, one correction, Charlotte Hornets are the worst team in the NBA now. Uh, Detroit, slightly better. Uh, but D'Lo, I will say, when he played Charlotte, 28-6 and six with AD and LeBron active and got 40 minutes. So, I mean, yeah, even if both those guys are out there, like still a fine look here against Detroit um, yeah, because of that inexperienced backcourt and because of the, the front end of the back-to-back -back for the Lakers. I know we could do this all day. But let me correct you and say that Trey Van and Mitich are going to be doing some damage there in Charlotte. They look better. It's another thing where, like, cool, just give the ball. We've all been watching Trey Mann come off the bench for OKC at random times and going, like, did y'all know you had him on your team? <laughs> like, this dude is a bucket. Susie gets Grant on the Williams floor. better than PJ Washington, Dallas. What did you do? 
I don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't disagree with that at all either. We'll see what PJ Washington's rim defense looks like, and maybe we they they can just blame it on the uh, on playing on the Hornets. But yeah, we'll we'll see. I think Grant Williams is going to try hard. I, I'm not going to be fading auto fading the Hornets by any means moving forward. So and and neither the Pistons. We got some good hoop. That is all the time for us that we have on these play of props. Continue to follow along. Also have a best bets video up as we bring you each and every weekday this season. So until we see you next, happy betting. Step it up, up, up.